I want you to open your Bibles, if you will, to Proverbs chapter 24. Proverbs chapter 24. I want you to look at one verse for me, or with me, Proverbs chapter 24 and verse number 10. I'll give you just a moment to find it. One verse. You can mark your Bible there. One verse, Proverbs 24, verse number 10. If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. The word faint means to pass out or to lose consciousness, to lose control under pressure. If thou faint in the day of adversity, that's the day of difficulty. More difficult than the ordinary day. The day of attack, the day of temptation, the day of difficulty. If thou faint in the day of adversity... Thy strength is small, it is weak, it is of little resistance. Your strength is not enough. You today are preparing for a day of adversity that is ahead. I want to preach tonight on pay attention how you're preparing. Heavenly Father, I want to be a blessing tonight. We've heard tremendous preaching and truths, my heart's been blessed. I've been blessed to watch the hearing and the receiving of the preaching. And tonight I'm not going to give a motivational sermon, but I'm going to give a almost just a pastoral, instructional sermon. And I pray, Lord, that we can get a hold of some things that would help us for the day or days of adversity that are ahead. Holy Spirit, would you please fill me again, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Saturday, May 21st, I was out visiting. As most of our folks were out soul winning, visiting, working on a bus route, I got a call on my cell phone, and it was one of our young ladies here that member of our church has been since the fall of 2001, senior in our college, works as a part-time secretary in one of our ministries. And Vivian called me and she said, Preacher, I just got a strange phone call. I don't know what to make of it. She said, I got a call from my mom's cell phone. My family's on their way home from Texas visiting the family there. You know, my mom and my dad, my three brothers, my sister, and my grandmother are in a van traveling home. And the lady said that was on my mom's cell phone, there's been a terrible accident, and I found this phone at the accident site. I said, Vivian, meet my wife and I at the church office, and we'll be there as soon as we can. And we all got here about the same time. I called one of my brothers who is a police officer, and I told him the story I said, see if you can find out someone I could talk to in authority in Carthage, Texas. In a few minutes, I got a telephone call from a number. My cell phone just gave a number, and it said the name Carthage, Texas. I answered the phone, and it was a lady. She said, or I answered the phone, this is Pastor Fugit. She said, are you the pastor of the Avalar family? I said, I am. She said, I'm sorry to inform you there's been a terrible automobile accident and the following are deceased. 
Israel, Kevin, Danny, and Matthew. The three ladies have been airlifted to area hospitals. We're not sure their condition other than they are critical. We sat there stunned for a couple of minutes. Of course, we wept together. I called another staff member and I said, I want you to help me. I'm going to buy an airline ticket for Bibian to go to Dallas, Texas and to be with her mother and sister and grandmother. And Mrs. Davis met her at the college and they drove to Louisville and in a few hours they were in Texas. The word we got on Saturday night was we did not know if her sister, her mother, or her grandmother would live. As the hours went along, and of course we prayed, we were somewhat stunned. We were in shock as to the news we had heard. You you see, Kevin sat here last year. He had his picture made with Brother Cooper and Brother Davis. He wrote in his Bible... This week, last year, I am a fundamentalist of the things recovered from the van. One of those is Kevin's Bible. It had a purity pledge inside the Bible. It had those words, I am a fundamentalist. And it was this week, last year, that he surrendered to preach. Mrs. Avalar was in somewhat of a coma, though her eyes were open and she could communicate some. She wasn't conscious. After a few days and her consciousness improved some, and then Kimmy had gone through a couple of surgeries on her head, she said, where is my husband? He hasn't come to check on me. Vivian called and she said, Preacher, do you think you could come and tell my mom what has happened? My wife and I got on an airplane and we flew to Dallas and then drove over to the East Texas Medical Center. When I walked in, Mrs. Avalar was sitting in a wheelchair. Her leg was broken in several places. And she said, Oh, Preacher, it's so good to see you. Oh, Mrs. Fugit, it is so good to see you. She hugged my wife. She shook my hand. I don't know if it was a minute. I don't know. It sure wasn't two. Preacher, my husband hasn't called. Why hasn't he called to check on me? I got on one knee beside her. I held her hand in mine. I said, Miss Avalar, you understand you were in an automobile accident. She said, Preacher, yes, I know, but I, I don't remember. That's Miss Avalar. Your husband is in heaven. Oh, oh, Preacher, she said. Oh, Preacher, what about my little Matthew? My little Matthew, he's always said he was going to be like you. He was going to be a preacher. What about my little Matthew? 
Miss Avalarm, all three of your sons are with your husband, and they're in heaven. We wept for a while. I witnessed one of the most amazing presence of the Holy Spirit of God and the grace and comfort that I'd ever seen. And though there were tears and there were weeping, that was the truth that we faced that day. After a few hours, we went back to Dallas and went to the children's hospital and spent some time with Kimmy there. And um, we came home. Those days were busy days as we were getting reports every few hours from Mrs. Avalar, her mom, and her daughter. They were all recovering from serious injuries. The day came that we walked into this auditorium, and there were four caskets across this auditorium, four identical blue caskets, Israel, Kevin, Danny, and Matthew. I met with Mrs. Avalar as we prepared the funeral. And I was amazed at her grace and faith and strength in God. I, I, I was just amazed. I was amazed how she began to talk about Preacher, a man came to visit me and he told me, Miss Avalar, I just want to let you know your husband led me to Christ. She began to tell me story after story of folks that her family had influenced and her favorite stories were those that her family had won to Christ. How do you face such a day of adversity? How do, you, how do you face such a day when all of a sudden you're coming home from a family vacation and all four, your husband and three sons, are gone? I'd known the Avalar family since the fall of 2001. And I happen to know that was not Hilda's first trial. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. For 15 years, her and her husband, as they raised their family, and of course, several of them were born here during the time of those 15 years, every time she faced a trial, every time she faced a burden, every time she faced a question or a problem, she would call the secretary, she would call me, and she would say, Preacher, I need to talk to you. Sometimes it would just be her, sometimes it would be her and her husband. And they developed a routine that they went through. They would say, Preacher, this is a problem. Sometimes it would be a, a concern about child rearing. Preacher, I'm worried about her attitude. Can I talk to you about her attitude? Preacher, I'm, I'm, I'm a little concerned about maybe my boys are, are, are wanting to play basketball more than serving the Lord. How, how, do we, how do we deal with that? Preacher, can you help us with that? Sometimes there were typical family problems, questions about finances. Sometimes personal spiritual struggles. Here's what we would do. I would listen. I would take the Bible and I would say, 
Here's what the Bible says about that. I think we ought to just do what the Bible says. Yes, yes, preacher, that, that's exactly what we need to do. We would pray together. They would leave and they would just do what the Bible said to do about that problem. I would have categorized the majority of all those questions as simple. They were just small things. How do I encourage my children to get their homework done? How can I tell them how important it is to get a good education? Preacher, how do I, how do I get my children to read their Bible every day? Preacher, can you uh, help us about being better soul winners? Preacher, how do, we, how do we deal with this problem? And every time it was the same. Whatever the Bible says, that's what we will do, and that's what they did and went on. Now, when the tragedy of life came, she did what she had learned to do in the small trials of life. In fact, she didn't know what to do, so she just did what she had got in the habit of doing. Did you hear what I said? When she didn't know what to do in a time of great tragedy, one that I would not desire for any of us to ever face as she did in such a, uh, such a uh, terrible way in a single day, I, uh, she didn't know what to do, so she did what she had formed a habit of doing. Do you know tonight, you and I are forming habits in our life. How you respond to authority, you're forming a habit. How you respond to the preaching of the Word of God, you're forming a habit. Oh, it's just a little thing. I know it's just a small thing. I know it's just that you're dealing with the fact that you didn't get to play as much as you thought you should have gotten to play in the game. I know, and you're having to deal with it. You're having to deal with the correction from a pastor or a youth pastor or your mom and dad. But the way you deal with that, you're forming a habit. And what you're doing, you're really preparing for the day of adversity. So if you get mad and stomp off at something small, most likely that will be your response when you face something terrible. The truth is, you and I tonight are preparing for our day of adversity. You see, Mrs. Avalar wouldn't miss church. She wouldn't miss reading her Bible. She would always come, no matter what the problem, no matter what the difficulty was. She followed the plan that we had put together from the Bible. And, and even small things, when the average person wouldn't even ask, she would say, what does the Bible say? What do we need to do about that? And she began to develop a routine that she dealt with every problem in the same way. And when the big trial came... The only thing she knew to do is what she had been doing. You see, tonight, it is important that you and I learn from all of the little lessons of life, all of the opportunities that you have uh, to uh, follow a temptation or to misbehave, but you think, boy, I need to do right. I don't need to do that. I don't need to turn that television on tonight. I need to get sleep and rest and, and, uh, or spend time with my friends. We don't want to destroy a youth conference by, by watching something on television we shouldn't. And, 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 oh, you say that's a little thing. I know it is, but you're forming habits. That's right. 
How do we respond when somebody at church gets upset at you? How do we respond when someone disagrees with us? How do we respond when we face a small opposition? How do you respond when someone laughs at you for being a Christian? Why are you wearing a tie on Sunday night? Hey, it's Wednesday night. You don't have to wear a tie on Wednesday night. And there is no law that says you have to wear a tie anytime. It's just sort of what we get in the habit of doing. I notice my banker always has one on. I notice the undertaker, the, they don't call them that anymore. They're the last guy in town that will let you down. He's always wearing one. I, 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 I notice, but, but I don't know. We just, we just sort of uh, form habits of how uh, we behave. And I'm saying tonight, we need to pay attention to how we are living our lives at age 10 and 12 and 13 and 14 and 15 because we don't know when the great difficulty is going to come and when the great tragedy is going to come, you're going to do what you've been in the habit of doing. If you've been running, if you've been complaining, if you've been getting mad, that's probably what you're going to do in the day of adversity. But if you've been saying, well, I'm just going to trust in God and keep doing right. I'm just going to go to church anyway. I'm going to work on my bus route anyway. I know when our young people, we face that day of difficulty. My daughter said to me, she said, Daddy, I don't think I can sing tonight in the choir. I said, but that's where you're supposed to be. She said, I, all I feel like doing is crying. I said, well, stand in the choir and cry then. You say, preacher, you, 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 that was hard. No, I'm trying to prepare her for a day of adversity in her life, uh, that she will face personally. And when she said, I don't, I don't feel like, uh, uh, working on a bus route, but I, I need to go, don't I? Yes, we need to be faithful. We need to be in, are you listening to me? Hey, we've gotten to the place today that every time we run into a problem, a mama, a pets, a, a 14 year old boy, like he's a three year old, and we're spoiling ourselves and we're not learning how to stand and do right in the small things. You think it's bad because you didn't get playing time. You think it's bad because you didn't get a trophy and you blew up and you took it to your Sunday school class. Hey, let me tell you something. You better grow up because there's some big adversities coming. There's some tough times coming in life and you're preparing for them right now whether you recognize it or not. May I say, when a soldier goes into battle, that is not the first time that he has faced difficulty. No, sir. He's been through rigorous training. He's been through, he's been through training that would teach him how to go through times of difficulty. God help us, the average Christian today couldn't make it through boot camp two days and go into the army and we fuss and we complain. I was preaching up here in Ohio outside of a, of a, of a college, a liberal college and they had canceled school after the election because they were having post-election trauma. They had professors on the corners of the campus that students could go get a hug if they were upset. I saw some of the professors. I'd rather go to school on Saturday as have to hug one of them, uh, one of them fellas. They, they canceled class. 
They asked me, what do you think about this? I said, I think it's a shame. There was a day in World War II, uh, boys your age were going to whip the Germans and you can't even face somebody you don't like being elected president. I want to tell you something. We better grow up. We better quit whining and crying in the days, uh, the little days of testing, in the little days of preparation because the day of adversity is coming. Jesus responds to the criticism of His love for sinners. In Luke chapter 15, I'll not take time to preach it, but I want to show you the picture. It's a lost and found chapter of the Bible. You have one shepherd and he has a hundred sheep. He loses one. You have a lady who has ten coins and she loses a coin. You have a father that has two sons and he lost one coin. The value of all three things were vastly different. They were different in a major way. We had lost one lamb. We had lost one coin. We had lost one son. Each of them just a little more valuable up to the place of a son. But when you look at the story that pictures the Lord Jesus. You see the shepherd, he looked for the sheep until he found it. The woman swept the house and she looked until she found it. The good shepherd, the woman that had lost the coin and that pictured the love of Christ for the sinner. And then you find the son that was lost and was found. And then there's a rejoicing in the finding. That was the same. You know what Jesus was saying? If you'll treat the losing of one lamb, of one of a hundred, serious, you'll be prepared for the day that you've lost a son and you don't give up and you'll pray and you'll desire until the sun comes home. I'm telling you, we got, we've got to get to the place that we take little things serious. They're preparing us for the day of adversity. I will admit to you that I've preached many difficult funerals, but the funeral on that Saturday of a father and three sons was the most difficult funeral I'd ever conducted. But it was not the only funeral I had conducted. About 30 to 35 per year. And some years ago I developed a routine of how I would deal with funerals. How I would prepare for funerals. The time that I would set aside just to sit down and think about the deceased. To think of a Bible character that that person may remind me of. To think of the family that had been impacted by the death of the loved one. To think of the people that had been impacted by the death of the loved one. To take time personally and alone to grieve. So, when I came to the pulpit, it was not my time to grieve. It was my time to comfort. And then I would go find my place alone and I would go there and I would grieve myself. And so, when I faced the most difficult funeral that I'd ever preached, I only knew one way to deal with it. The same way I dealt with all the others. Ten times I buried... Little babies or children, ten times. Ten times, that little white casket, sometimes held by a young mother 
carrying it to the place of burial. I preached the funerals of homeless people that had nobody to attend them. And yes, this funeral, the most difficult, but the only thing I knew to do was what I had always done. May I say tonight, pay attention to what's going on. You're preparing for the big day. No basketball player that ever played in the championship game would say that's my first game. No, he started when he was just a little bitty fella. No fella that ever played in a World Series would say, this is his first game. We just thought he would be a good player, so we chose him and we had a uniform his size, and so we put him in. That's ridiculous. He'd been playing since he was just a little bitty fella. He had broken vases in the living room swinging a plastic bat. He had he, he, been playing ball since he was just a little fella. Anybody that would pass by, he would say, Hey, let's play ball. Hey, Dad, let's play ball for a while. Uh, to play with uh, anybody. He had been preparing again and again that day. But he had an opportunity to make a difference in a World Series game. That wasn't his first game. He had practiced. He had played. He had given it all. And may I say, this day is not just an extra day. This day is not a wasted day. This day is an important day. How are you responding to your friends? How are you responding to your parents? How are you responding to the difficulties that we face today? We face difficulties of all kinds, but we've come to the place today that we fuss and cry over putting pickles on a hamburger that we didn't order pickles on. A preacher friend of mine He's in heaven now. He was a special fella. He, he, he was the kind of guy that everybody would want to be their pastor. His personality seemed to be perfect. His knowledge of the Scripture would just seem to be perfect. And he was always just so appropriate. And, and, and he was just the kind of preacher that anybody would want to be around Because of that, there were many wealthy people that would come to him, even that weren't members of his church, and he would counsel with with, with people. And he didn't grow up a wealthy person, but, but, but wealthy folks from all over would come. And the preacher asked him one day, he said, how did you learn how to treat wealthy people? His answer was this, by treating poor people like they were wealthy. You mean if I treat everybody with kindness, there may come a day I treat somebody with kindness that make a world of difference in my life. Oh, you mean if I'm kind to folks that don't matter, I'm going to be kind to somebody that it does matter and it's going to make a big difference. 
Hey, can I tell you something? Our behavior is supposed to be right on the little days. Our behavior is supposed to be right on the days that are the days off. I'm telling you, you and I are preparing for the day of adversity. And we need to get a hold of our attitudes and get a hold of our minds. There's some of you here tonight in your youth department. Every time there's a problem, you're right in the center of it because of your attitude. And it's selfish and it's me. And I want it my way. I want to eat where I want to eat. I want to go where I want to go. And every time there's a problem, hey, I want to tell you something. One of these days, there's going to come a tragedy and you're not going to know how to respond. You're not going to know how to behave. And you're going to be a casualty. You're going to be hurt and you're not going to be a success. Oh, but you wait a minute. You take that fellow that learns how to treat others and learns how to deal with a difficulty and learns how to deal with problems, there's coming a day that they're going to face an adversity. But, oh, their strength is not going to be weak. Their strength is going to be strong. And in that day of adversity, everybody's going to discover somebody to be a great person. And what a great opportunity they're going to have. You know why? They learn how to take care of it in the small days. Let me give you a few statements and I'm going to finish. First of all, think of the habits that you're forming right now with your attitude. Think right now the habits that you're forming. Think about it. You know the book of Proverbs tells us we can tell the difference in a wise man and a fool real easy. A wise man likes two things. A wise man likes instruction and he likes correction. You know why? He wants to do right. A fool doesn't want to do right. He wants to be what is right. If you correct him or instruct him, he expresses anger. I don't want to be on this side. Are you listening to me? Pay attention to the habits formed. Of your attitude. Second of all, learn from the success that's ahead of you. Learn from the success that is ahead of you. When my father got cancer and he went through the chemotherapy treatments, he did not have the ability, didn't have the strength to stand up for very long at all. And he would say to me on a Sunday morning, Son, you help me get to the car. You help me to get to the back room. You get me a chair to sit in. My dad would rest as long as he could. He would come out and when he couldn't stand to preach, he would sit on the high chair and preach. He would hold on to the pulpit and he would say, one day soon will be my last. But while I'm able to stand and able to preach, I want to be in my place. Sort of makes me feel bad for thinking about missing when I've got a headache. Sort of makes me feel bad for entertaining the thought of not going because I've got a sore throat. I, I, I'm not trying to be unreasonable. I understand there are times you're sick 
There have been times I've been sick and not able to preach. I understand that. I'm not talking about being foolish, but I'll tell you what I'm talking about. It's time to toughen up. It's time to toughen up. It's time when you don't feel like it, you get out and go to bus meeting anyway. It's time when you don't feel like it to get out to teen soul winning anyway. When you don't feel like it, it's time for you to take your attitude and put it in shape and get in the teen choir anyway. All of us at times need to say to our attitude, I don't care how you feel. Say to our bodies, I don't care how you feel. You're going to be in the right place and you're going to have the very best attitude that you can muster. If America is going to be saved, it's not going to be saved by wimps. If America is going to see a remnant to bring any measure of revival, it's not going to be brought about by quitters. It's going to be brought about those that would pay attention to a winner, that would pay attention to a man that even though he faced a difficulty, he was in his place and he gave it the best he could. Oh, give us some teenagers today that will say, I want to do what's right. I want to be in my place. I want to be faithful now. I want to be prepared for the great day of adversity. Then I say last of all, learn to be faithful in all the small things. You never know when a big opportunity is coming. It's been said that most opportunities are not recognized because they come in work clothes. They come in problems. They come in difficulties. The successful teenager is not the one that never feels bad, but is the one that's always faithful, even when we don't feel good. Now let's face it, we don't always feel good. We don't always have a good attitude. Sometimes I hate my attitude. Sometimes I I, I want to be positive and happy and I don't feel positive and happy. Last Sunday night, before I preached, the quartet sang the song, I woke up this morning feeling fine. Whoever wrote that song was lying. (laughs) Or they woke up at 10 o'clock in the morning. I never woke up in the morning and felt like singing a song. I woke up this morning feeling fine. But I'll tell you what I've learned. I've learned that success is not those that always feel good. I've learned that success are those that are always in their place, no matter what their attitude is, no matter how they feel. Mrs. Avalar, just in the last two weeks, has been able to walk without a walker. She came to church when they had to push her in a wheelchair. You know why? That's what she's always been doing for 15 years. When she was able to walk on a walker, she's in her place. You know why? That's the habit she formed. That's all she knows to do. May God help us tonight to pay attention to the habits we're forming. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Dear Lord, I've pastored long enough to know that there are young people sitting here who have broken hearts. There are young people sitting here that they're facing problems that nobody knows about but themselves. They face heartaches and heartbreaks. 
And many feel like nobody cares and nobody understands. Lord, Lord, as I've paid attention to those who are successful, I've found every time it's not those who always feel good, but it's always those who are in their place, no matter how they feel. It's always those that give it their best, no matter what the circumstances are. I don't know how long we have to live. Kevin Avalar at this youth conference last year, he gave his life to you to be a preacher. He lived two months. My father served from 1972 until the day of his death in 1985. He went to heaven at the age of 40. We don't know how long we have. God, I pray that you'd help us to give it all we've got in the opportunities that we have before us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet? Or if you want to kneel where you are. I wonder tonight, are you the peacemaker of your youth department? That's who the leader is. Or if there's a problem, are you the first person that they wonder is at the center of the problem. You are preparing today for your day of adversity. You're preparing now. Sports is not just for fun. Sports is an opportunity for us to prepare for life. We don't have sports here at our school. We don't have sports here at our school just to have fun or an excuse for arguing. Hopefully it prepares us for the difficulties of life. Turn this one on. What's our response when we don't get our way? You're not going to get your way in life. You're not. You're going to be disappointed more times than you're going to have your desires fulfilled. How do you deal with it? When Mrs. Avalar faced a problem, didn't know what to do. She said, Preacher, what does the Bible say about that? Oh... I see, that makes sense. That's what we'll do. Sometimes we cried together. We always prayed together. So when the day of adversity came, she only knew one thing to do. Just keep doing what she had been doing. Maybe some young people that need to get right with one another. Your church could have revival regardless of what the adults in your church did. You could go home and have revival just from your youth department. You could stir your church up, whole church. Just you. Get on fire for God. Paul said to Timothy, Be thou an example to the believers in thy youth. 
You don't have to be an old man to be an example. You can be an example as a young man. Thank you so much for your attention. Oh, how I wish I could help us to understand. The little